Welcome to the Global Data Pod Research Wrap. I'm your host, Nora Santivani, and joining me today is Mike Hansen. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Good, Nora. How are you? I'm all right. You too, you too. Uh, So uh, we're doing this research wrap today a little bit earlier than usual. This is our once a month global inflation monitoring edition. We don't quite have all the November CPI releases just yet. We're still missing Japan and Malaysia and Singapore. But, you know, given the holiday period, we thought we'd um, uh, try and do this today. Um, And it's good to have you on mic so that we can also dive a bit deeper into the U.S. CPI and PC numbers for that matter. Um, but maybe we start with the global top down. Yeah, no, I think it's it's interesting as you kind of point out in the piece, right? You've got this notable decline in headline inflation uh, that's continuing um, and some softness in core. But it's interesting because it does look like it's pretty much a big drop in energy prices and arguably somewhat surprising weakness in good prices. We can debate that a little bit that are driving it down, but the services side is still elevated and it looks like it's going to keep core above 3% into next year. Yeah, this is very much a goods-led disinflation as we've been highlighting for a couple of months now, that sort of gap between goods and services has um, widened further in November. Uh, But to start with at the headline level, uh, this was another soft month for uh, global consumer prices. Uh, They rose 0.1% on the month. That's smallest gain we've had in six months. And as you mentioned, that was helped lower by another sizable drop in consumer energy prices. Core CPI gains here moderating as well to 0.2 um, month on month. Um, and year ago rates also coming down and the three month annualized run rates as well, easing both for headline and for core. So on core, the three month annualized rate is down to 2.9. It's, you know, that's still, I guess, you know, elevated rate relative to where um, most DM central banks would like it to be, although getting within comfort zones for most EM central banks uh, who have less um, ambitious inflation targets. Uh, but the headline is down to 2.4 annualized. So clearly there's been some softening here in um, inflation momentum that is largely goods driven. Um, so energy um, and, and core, core goods in particular, yeah. Yeah, I mean, before we maybe turn to the the you know regional economy discussion, just kind of thinking about that breakdown a little bit more. I mean, the the stuff that moves headlines specifically, right? Energy and food, uh, energy in particular looks like it's come down a fair bit. Although obviously there's a little bit of a tick up recently in, the, in oil prices, but still quite soft. And also, despite concerns about, I guess El Nino looks like it's also at this point. Yeah, moderate. both. Exactly. So energy inflation had that um, spike up in the third quarter, and now we've almost entirely reversed that rise in oil um, prices that we had through third quarter. And now we're uh, last two months, we're down um, 1.3% in consumer energy prices in both October and November. So that's providing uh, quite nice relief for households in terms of their purchasing power into the end of the year. And given how Brent crude is tracking through December, we should see another drop uh, in consumer energy prices in December. Um, So in terms of the three-month run rate, energy CPI is now negative. We're back down in the negative territory, minus 8%. So that's that's now a clear drag on the headline. Um, On food inflation, you know, we had that kind of mini spike over the third quarter as well. And a lot of that was concentrated in EM Asia. It was quite narrowly based in rice prices. And 
you know, much of that has reversed, although some of the EM Asian countries are still still seeing quite elevated food inflation. But globally, food inflation looks to be settling around this three and a half percent mark, which is where we were forecasting it to be. Uh, we have been closely tracking the impact of El Nino uh, across a number of EM countries, likes of Brazil, Colombia, India, South Africa. For the most part, that upward pressure seems pretty limited for the time being. Uh, when we look at it compared to the past severe El Nino episodes, um, you know, these are very moderate increases in food prices at this point. Now, some of the impact could still be felt in the early part of 2024. Uh, when we look at the you know, model estimates, these are suggesting a peak around December, January in terms of the weather shock. And so that could then still pass through to food CPI with a lag and it could extend through May. Uh, so I think we're not completely out of the woods and we are tracking that impact, as I said, across a number of those EM countries. But for now, things seem quite contained. And one of the main reasons is quite favorable supply conditions, um, high uh, starting levels of inventories, bumper harvests, um, and that has limited some of that upside um, on food. The broad FAO food price index was flat in November and we're still down something like 6% over the past six months. So nothing too concerning at this point, Mike, on the food inflation front. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, turning to core, I think that there's a couple of interesting pieces here. One is obviously goods inflation has been you know, quite notable source of disinflation for a bit now. Um, and it kind of, I guess, begs the question, how much longer we expect this to run and then at what level, right? I mean, obviously, supply chain normalization has probably run its course by and mm. large. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, more recently, there's been some concerns. Certainly, I've gotten some questions in the last week or so about the combination of um, water shortages, presumably themselves, mm. need related to the Panama Canal. And then, of course, the attacks in, in shipping in the Middle East has forced uh, rerouting container ships and oil uh, tankers, you know, around Africa as opposed to going through the Suez, right? So then there's a lot of focus on that. I don't know how much that's actually going to be through or not. I do also notice in the case of the U.S. at least, China export prices to the U.S. are not nearly as negative as they were a few months ago. I think they were minus five percent earlier in the year. They're maybe minus one percent now at a three-month run rate. So. I think, you know, there's a lot of factors that we're pulling down goods inflation. We're interested to see how much it goes forward. The obvious offset there is we are looking for, you know, kind of continued weakness in the goods sector overall, right? We've been looking for this rebound in manufacturing that hasn't quite shown up. The PMIs don't seem to point to it. Um, and so if goods demand does itself remain weak, then maybe that would be a source for keeping uh, goods inflation weak to negative for a time. Uh, but some of the obvious sources of downward pressure may less clear, maybe if they're going to continue. Yeah, um, I think that's all right, what you're saying. But I, I do feel this disinflationary impulse in core goods can um, stay with us for, for a bit longer. Um, I mean, you mentioned the U.S. I mean, there, if you look at November, uh, core goods prices were down 0.3 month on month. Um, yeah. And that's despite a pretty big jump in used car prices. So clearly there's some underlying core goods disinflation, which is uh, continuing. I mean, as you say, I think it's reflecting this year of pretty weak global manufacturing activity, uh, which hasn't really shifted. Um, the deflation in China export prices is still ongoing, even though, um, as you're saying, in terms of uh, the run rate, um, the import prices, U.S. import prices from China, perhaps some of that deflation has 
uh, faded a little bit, but uh, certainly the, the the deflationary impulse from China is, is still there. We, you know, we see it in the continued uh, gap between production and domestic demand within China. So that I think that dynamic hasn't really altered in any meaningful way. And that's continuing to put downward pressure both on domestic and export prices in China. I mean, China CPI data um, and export price data were, were very weak. Um, for global core goods prices, globally, they were down 0.14 month on month in November. So that is um, uh, actually an intensification of the of, of the softness that, that we've had in, in recent months. And the three month run rate is now minus 1.3 annualized um, uh, in the three months to, to November. And that's really the kind of softest um, run rate we've had um, outside of the the, the pandemic era collapse in the second quarter of 2020. Um, so I think in the near term, you know, maybe we get a little bit of a pickup in the in the run rate. As you say, there are a couple of um, headline risks which are translating into some upward pressure on transportation costs, shipping costs. You know, we mentioned the Red Sea uh, disruptions, which are putting upward pressure on insurance costs. Um, so we could see, you know, that 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 deflation in core goods inflation may be turning a little bit less uh, negative and maybe heading back towards uh, the zero rate um, in the near term. But I think broadly speaking, I think the um, the environment will be one of continued weakness in core goods pricing for me. In the yeah, I think that, I think the question certainly from a DM is from a U.S. perspective is to that point we've seen we've seen. Uh, surprisingly weak goods prices. And as you mentioned, you know, even with used car prices actually picking up, right, there's a question of whether that we're going to see such negative numbers. And that's obviously a more volatile sector mm. inflation, right? So given that it's surprised to the downside, should we expect that to continue? It's a great question. There's obviously some cross currents as we talked about, right? And the flip side of that, of course, is that services inflation, core services inflation is still running pretty, pretty solid, uh, certainly in the DM. And, and I think from what I've read in some of the EM countries as well, um, and I think that's something where you would typically expect more persistence. Um, you're obviously seeing some cooling in labor markets, but you know I think generally amongst the DM economies, is a concern that labor markets are still tight enough to keep pressure on those uh, those components. You've obviously seen some, again, some signs of it cooling a bit, but probably not cooling enough to make central banks comfortable. Which is one reason why we do have somewhat later expectations for when DM central banks will start seriously considering cuts than what's priced in the market right now. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this divergence between core goods and services, as I mentioned, is uh, is widening further in in the last few months. And core services inflation actually ticked higher on the three month run rate uh, to four point nine percent annualized. And yeah, I mean well, that's that's just higher, but, but it was four not long ago, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We were we were at four uh, in in August, and we're now up yeah. to four four eight four nine. Uh, now DM is four five. It looks like EMX China and Turkey is up to six. So there has been some acceleration here. Um, Russia is 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 a big chunk of that. I guess if we take Russia, maybe it's not as um, not as high in in EM, but but certainly core services is running strong in both EM and DM. So I think across regions that's that's a fairly uniform uh, picture, and you know it's a reflection of still tight labor markets and. Um, now, perhaps some of that services inflation could come off, right, in, in the near term, 
what's your what's your sense with with respect to the U.S. outlook on services? Because we have had recently slightly firmer shelter inflation, for example. So there there could still be scope for shelter inflation, for example, to come down in the near term, and that could bring services inflation down, right? Well, yeah, it's interesting. We were looking into it a little bit, and as you point out, the the model that we had based on uh, Zillow index was suggesting more disinflation in um, rental inflation than we have gotten. And you know, if we dig into the details of that and kind of separate out between um, single family and multifamily, and think that most of that's single family, it actually would suggest less disinflation than our baseline model. Um, but it is still coming down in a gradual trend. I think what's interesting is if you start looking at more recent moves on both um, super core CPI and PCE, they're not showing quite as much uh, moderation. In fact, the tracking estimate we have for super core uh, PCE for tomorrow is actually going to have a three month run rate of about three and a quarter percent. So it's just going to pick up a bit there. Mm. I think it's struggling to, to, to kind of come down. I think that's, again, it's, it's interesting in the context where you, you do expect that the services side is still probably going to remain sticky. And so we do have it gradually cooling. Right to the point where we do think the Fed will be able to, to start easing by, by June. But the market's been running with this idea that, like, for example, the six month run rate is now down to something closer to two percent. And therefore, the Fed should be able to ease in March. And we just we don't think that the disinflation is going to be quite that fast, that aggressive. And then the Fed's going to be able to be that quick. Right. Yeah. But and there's also this um, this gap right between the CP core PC and the core CPI, which, which is quite significant at this point. If you look at the core CPI, the three month run rate is three point four as of November. But the, the core PC is, is quite a bit lower. Um, can you speak to that, that that gap and kind of where you see it going? Yes. I mean, what's interesting, though, is that if you look at what we're tracking in terms of where that gap is going to go for November. So the, uh, the October gap on a three-month run rate, for example, on Supercore, had um, a, a pretty decent uh, gap. And, and in fact, I think that gap will probably continue to, to mm. remain very wide, right? Uh, on a one on a year ago rate, it's about one percentage point. On a three-month run rate, it's about two percentage points. Mm. But you did have, like I said, you had um, the Supercore CPI on a three-month run rate pick up from about four nine to five two in the U.S. And we are looking forward to go from about 2.7 to 3.2, a 5 tenths increase in the three-month run rate between October and November. We get November's number tomorrow. So things are, are, are showing certainly cooling on, this, on the good side still, as we talked about, but that services side, which is interesting because the Fed has not emphasized it as much, right? Um, and it's something we've obviously been tracking pretty closely. That still seems to have some residual stickiness. And remember, we had a forecast from a while ago. We thought the fourth quarter would come in a bit stronger than the third, and the data seemed to be pointing in that direction at this point still, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, in, in, so in the euro area, for example, actually not just euro area, much of Europe, as I'm looking at the core CPI numbers, there seems to be a very significant deceleration. So euro area, uh, the three-month annualized run rate is down to 0.9 as of November. Now, there's some distortions in that number that our team have been highlighting around the weight changes at the start of the year. If you look through that noise, maybe core inflation is running closer to three, but that's still a significant step down compared to the sort of 5 6% pace we had seen uh, last year. Uh, UK, the three-month run rate on core CPI is down to 1.8, Sweden 1.9, Czechia 1.8, Poland 1.2. So th these are getting to very low run rates in quite a few European countries. So I think that's quite interesting uh, distinction with what we're seeing in the US where things look uh, look a bit stickier, at least on the core CPI, maybe less so on the PC. But um, I think, I think there's there's there. 
for what it's worth is I, I think the services rates, the, the core services are actually still running higher in Europe, both the UK and the Euro area, and they are in the US, right? So I think what's interesting is you've had a pivot in the case of the Fed is you have not had, it was very clear the day after the Fed meeting, both the BOE and the ECB were very clear they were not at this point ready to talk any serious way about, about cuts. And so I think that there's two things going on there. I think one is that, particularly on the services side, which again, central banks have tended to think is more linked to labor markets, which still are somewhat tight and tend to be more sticky. Those are, are no question coming down. You're exactly right. But that there's that last mile question. There's this question about kind of where things are going. Mm -hmm. European yesterday, core services still running at three and a half to four percent pace, obviously down from the six percent pace you had at the end of last year, right? A year ago this time. But you're still going to have core running, you know, in the threes to upper twos in the first half of the year, and about two and a half in the second half of the year. And core services running about three and a half in the second half of the year. And so I think that's why they're still looking for an ECB that's not easing until the third quarter. Right. And so I think there's an interesting contrast in, in the market kind of running with this idea that the disinflation is so obviously just going to extrapolate to central banks being able to ease fairly soon. Um, yeah. Our calls that don't have that and this interesting divergence between the Fed and both the ECB and the BOE. Right. I think the yeah. BOE may be able to lose its hawkish bias fairly soon. Um, the data continues. But, you know, it's still in a situation where even there it's running hotter than it is, you know, almost anywhere else in the DM. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly for ECB and, you know, Bank of England, these are still very much hawkish holds. And what we've been emphasizing is that they are, uh, you know, talking down prospects of early cuts, I think partly because they're a bit more pessimistic on the supply side of their economy. So they don't think the supply side is going to give them that additional disinflation that perhaps the US is getting. And so absent a break in the labor market, absent wage inflation coming down very strongly, which is probably not going to happen quickly, right? That's going to take time. The ECB is just going to remain more cautious than the Fed. So they're going to not going to be extrapolating from the recent run rates uh, as easily. Uh, so I think there's definitely that, that distinction in how Western European central banks and the Fed have responded to the incoming uh, data. Yeah, the interesting thing on that, too, is you had uh, the Canadian inflation disappoint to the upside yesterday as well. Core remains stuck. And you mm -hmm. had Bank of Canada officials also push back strongly. Um, and it's interesting because in the Fed, you've had some regional Fed officials try to push back on the idea of, of, of early cuts. But I think that the, the broad picture that inflation is coming down, but it's very heavily skewed towards goods and there's still some stickiness in, in core fairly consistent across the DM, or core services, excuse me, right? And then this idea that looks like we think the market is is ahead of where we think central banks are likely to be given the inflation outlook. Yeah, maybe we can um, speak to EM as well a little bit. Um, you know, th th there's nothing uh, spectacular going on in EM inflation, and that core inflation is seems to be hovering around this 4% mark for a couple of months now. So we haven't seen a material further slide in uh, inflation momentum. I think the broader point for EM is that the run rates that we're seeing on core somewhere around three and a half to four is actually within comfort zones for quite a few central banks, not everybody. But remember, as I mentioned at the beginning of, 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 of this um, episode, uh, EM central banks just have less ambitious inflation targets. So something around 3% for them is consistent with, with easing. Um, add to that the decline in global bond yields, the decline in oil prices that should allow inflation to fall further, capital inflows coming in, supporting currencies and so on. This is really an environment where EM central banks can 
you know, even speed up the pace of their easing. You know, we had projected 25 basis points per quarter through next year. I think now we're leaning towards perhaps a bit more front loaded cuts and even lower terminal rates. Right, Mike, we didn't mention, but the U.S. team did uh, move forward the expectation for the first Fed cut to June. And we now have a cumulative 125 basis points next year. That has now uh, started to trickle down to some of our EM rate calls. We've a lower terminal rate forecast by something like 50 basis points uh, over the past week across a couple of LATAM countries. This week, we've seen the CMB um, and BANREP in Colombia join in the rate cutting cycle. So we now have seven EM central banks cutting. So, you know, this is an environment where, you know, inflation continues to decline. It's still kind of a little bit above central bank targets, but getting within comfort zones for quite a few central banks. And more importantly, rates are high. Real rates are high in quite a few EM countries. So they have space to uh, ease further in, in this kind of environment. Yeah, outside of EM Asia is my understanding, basically, right? Yeah, for look, for EM Asia, their rates are low. They have a negative rate differential versus the U.S. But I think even there, we could see space for cuts if, for example, if the dollar continues to weaken, if this soft landing scenario really does play out, then remember, much of EM Asia has inflation uh, already within uh, target within their target. And certainly by the middle of next year, we have it at target in the overwhelming majority of countries. They have slack in their economies. The labor market is generally you know, not as tight. Uh, so I think even there, a couple of countries, Indonesia, maybe Thailand, you know, some of them, maybe even Korea, could be in a position to uh, cut rates a little bit uh, before the second half. So right now, most of the cuts we have in Asia are, are in the second half of next year. Um, so yeah. You know, Pointing out on that, you know, you mentioned that the terminal rates are coming down. EM. The, remember, the U.S. team did not reduce its terminal rate; it merely pushed forward by yes. a month, which crosses the line of a quarter from Q3 to Q2, right? Yes. Uh, but yes. the terminal rate didn't move in the case of the U.S. Uh, in the case of the views around the Fed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, so for next year, they're they're easing more, right? So it's kind of a more front-loaded, uh, front-loaded easing. Um, yeah, everything easing moved up cycle. one month, basically. But yeah. but I mean, to your point, right? It does seem like there's a lot of optimism around not just soft landing, but I think around uh, easier global financial conditions and perhaps a somewhat weaker dollar that's leading for uh, to a, a bigger move or consideration of a bigger move in the EM space than you're seeing in, in what has changed in the U.S. outlook for the Fed specifically, right? Yes, exactly. All right. Uh, should we leave it there? Anything else right. we need to... Okay, perfect. Well, thanks, Mike, for joining me. Thank you to our listeners uh, for tuning into this episode of Global Data Pod Research Wrap, and we look forward to continuing the conversation on the next one. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, All Rights Reserved. This episode was recorded on December 21st, 2023.